I've come to understand that financial success isn't a cause, it's an effect. Mm. And it's an effect that follows a life that's overflowing and full. So focusing on where I'm at internally, being deliberate in the direction of where that is, whilst at the same time, taking actions on the opportunities that arise from that space is how I live my life now. Mm. So I'm not chasing a dollar. I'm like, okay, I have this opportunity to create value with this industry or someone's come to me and said, hey, here's an opportunity here. Does it align with where I'm at in here? Yes, then it's a natural overflow and I follow it. And that's what I do now. Straight from the boardroom to the microphone. I'm April Garcia, and this is Pivot Me, easily applied tools and hacks to get you ahead. This isn't just a podcast. This is an upgrade for your life. Helping good people become even better. This is Pivot Me. My guest today is Daniel Magena, Wall Street Journal's Master of Success, public speaker, and two times best selling author. After receiving a late diagnosis of Asperger's and experienced a life shattering trauma at the age of 20, Daniel spent seven years struggling to keep these revelations and events from spilling into his everyday life. As a result of his struggles, Daniel built a simple four-step system called the Beyond Intention Paradigm. Through his motivational speeches, Daniel shares his vision of empowerment and joy. His books and podcast series have all helped thousands across the globe. His prolific, so it's so big I had a hard time saying it, (laughs) his prolific work recently earned him a spot in the Wall Street Journal as a master of success as seen on Wall Street Journal, Market Watch, ABC, NBC, CBS, and Fox. Welcome to Pivot Me, Daniel. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so, Daniel, wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's let's get into it. So, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna ask a question specifically about your bio, which usually is about two or three questions. In Daniel, we're just gonna jump to it because I feel like feel like we handle it. I feel like we're on our A game today. So usually in Pivot Me, we talk about a moment where everything changed, mm-hmm. and right in your bio seems to be a moment where everything changed. So. Yeah. Daniel, tell us about a time where where you pivoted, where, where everything did change. <laughs> you know, it's, what's really funny is that over time I've come to see that my life is like a, a, a film trilogy, or we'll call it a book trilogy, given the pivot me audience. There you go. And uh, I've got I've got like part one, which goes up to about the age of twenty, which is the first time that I lost millions of pounds. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. Uh, I say it started the, the 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 film started to move into the end credits, and then <laughs> when I actually lost everything the second time at twenty four, <laughs> that's when <laughs> that's when we definitely was like, okay, this movie's done now. Let's, you were on the second it. time by twenty four. Twenty four. Wow. I lost, made lost two I don't know if that's a quick learner or or fat. I don't know what that is, Daniel. But that's I impressive. It yeah, was, it, it got it out of the way. Disastrously quick. impressive, actually. So disastrously impressive that as I looked at the aftermath. Of because the first time I was like still young, right? I didn't have mm-hmm. I hadn't faced adversity. Mm-hmm. Success had come pretty easily. I got into like personal development, mindset, visualization, quote unquote manifesting. Well, that wasn't really the word that people were using at the time. Mm-hmm. I was doing the silver method. Um, I had mentors that I was like pen panning with, like I'd find authors and be like, hey, like I'm a 17-year-old. Like I really want to learn from you. Can I be your pen pal and learn from you? And like I was getting mentors at that age. So like I got, I got forward and 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 when stuff kind of went wrong, <laughs> I was like, oh okay, cool, it's gone wrong. I'm just gonna do it, gonna go through again. So I wasn't really, I wasn't thrown off until mm-hmm. the second time. The second time I was like, okay, all right, maybe because my mum was like, why don't you just finish a college degree? <laughs> just safe, <laughs> easy path. Come degree, on, like do the thing. So I I got into Keeble College Oxford, which is quite a fancy university Mm -hmm. I lost my place there in something called the grade scandal that happened in 2002 so what happened was is that I went off on this rebel path where I said well I'm gonna like be against the system I'm not gonna they're not gonna hold me back I'm just gonna go and do it my parents are African immigrants to the UK education is a very big thing so Mm -hmm. when I was like no I'm gonna they're like no you're going to university so I ended up going to university I didn't want to go to it was the only red brick uni I could get into after two weeks, after all the all the other places had gone, something called clearing that they do in the UK. And I managed to get into this unit to study international financial economics. 
Mm-hmm. I didn't go to lectures. <laughs> I didn't do my homework. I was like in this, like this rebel mode. Thing. Still rebelling. I'm going to rebel. And I was like, I went deeper into the reading. I was like, I'm just going to go and be a millionaire instead. I became very focused on that. Anyway, mm-hmm. managed to do it by the age of 20 and then lost everything within a year, which was funny. But um, I was like... You managed to do it by the age of 20. You you did what by the age of 20? Made a, I've been become a millionaire. I made myself a millionaire by the age of 20. You, made, you were self-made millionaire by the age of 20. 20 and lost it before I turned I, 21. I just want to emphasize self-made. So this is okay. not generational wealth. No, That's no very, generational very, very different wealth. thing. My parents, my parents were... They weren't economic migrants. They migrated to the UK in the 70s before it was mm-hmm. like popular. They weren't yeah, like before refugees it was cool. or anything. They were like... They migrated before it was cool. Yeah, before it was cool. They're like, my dad was like, well, I want to get more education. I kind of reached as far as I can in Zimbabwe. Time to go to England. And that's that's what happened with that. So mm-hmm. they're all about hard work, get it done, get a job, blah, blah, blah. So I went off and did. And um, yeah, balls that up, which is another story. So when I get to the second time, I was like, oh, God. You know, I took a year out from mm-hmm. university in 2002. Mm-hmm. So 19 years ago, my year out has turned into 19 years. My mum still, still thinks in your year out. I'm still in my year out. My mum still, still thinks. So. My mum's still like, so son, where are you going to finish your degree? It's like, mum, like, I'm rich. <laughs> I live in a, I live in Carbo. <laughs> like, I've got a kid now, but she's still holding out hope. She's cool. So. Just Photoshop uh, it, Daniel. Just Photoshop maybe, it, send to her for Christmas and maybe, call it Maybe I'll get an honorary one. One of my mentors actually got an honorary PhD. I was like, maybe I'll get one of those bad boys. That's the next goal. Yeah. So I get to this thing where I'm like, okay, maybe I did get it wrong. Maybe I've been living in this delusional bubble because I was doggedly sanding my bad beliefs through the first loss, through the second loss and the mess of the aftermath. And I was just like, ah, maybe I got it wrong. I should have mm. just gone to church every week, married that girl, been a deacon, been an elder, gone to work in the city that's originally planned, mm. been an investment banker and thing. And I became so consumed with the idea that I'd messed up so irre- irreparably that there was nothing to come from this. That I actually wanted to take my own life. And April, the only reason why I didn't, here's the crazy thing. And this is where the second movie starts, the second book starts. The only reason why I didn't is I didn't want to fail at something else. Wow. So book two was actually me trying to work out what had gone wrong so I could successfully commit suicide. I hadn't worked out. I hadn't said, I'm going to fix this thing so I can go and create again. I was like, I've done the creation thing. I just kind of want to bow out now. Let me just work out what's wrong with this creation thing. Mm -hmm. And the next 13 years, I would say 12, 13 years were spent accidentally polluting myself with so much positive input as I was trying to work out what was wrong with this model that I ended up creating what now is commonly known as uh, my Beyond Intention paradigm. Um, my book, Stepping Beyond Intention, breaks down that and a bit of the story of where it came around. But I would say the major pivot definitely happened at that point where I became so committed to fixing my model, I had a different intention, but that was the major pivot. Along the way, I was diagnosed with Asperger's, which really helped me. Um, I I become a much better person through the experience I've learned a lot about myself. I've learned a lot about getting help and being supported. I've learned a lot about being humble and remembering that I'm human. But the big, big, big pivot was at that point where I actually over overanalyzed myself out of suicide because I wanted to make sure that I didn't fail at something else. So if we're going for pivots, I'd say that one, a book two. Is That's a it. Yeah. That's a fascinating book too. Oh, so many questions, Daniel. Oh my, where do I go? Okay. Oh, so many things. Okay. So what I just need to know. So was there this defining moment where you're like, oh, suicide's off the table? No, this is the crazy thing. People it was kind of like a spectrum you just slowly moved away from. I, I, that's what it was. Because the thing is, is that now I understand how my brain works from being on the autistic spectrum. I realize that when I have my outcome, I just, I'm just going to chop away. But one of the most beautiful things I learned about how we create our reality is the importance of the mental environment against which our reality is being created. Mm. And I basically did a complete mental rehab without really knowing that that was going on because I was like, okay, I need to, I mean, I was reading voraciously. I was like, what had gone wrong? Where was it missing? I was studying autobiographies. I was studying, and I was like, where, where had, where was the missing piece? Because the model that I had before worked, I'd made not once, but twice 
Mm-hmm. Actually, there was a third time that kind of was there, but it didn't really work out the same way. Like it all kind of fell apart. But so I knew that there was something there to mm-hmm. it, but it was unsustainable. And the things that came up out of that were the importance of self autonomy, agency, right? Not mm-hmm. blaming. Mm-hmm. The power of now, that now is the only time I can make choices. The power of expectation and how my environment and my inputs impact that. And now I'm able to do that consciously. Now I'm able to show people how to do that consciously. But no matter where you're at, choices are made from where we're at internally. Where we're at internally is affected by environment. Our environment doesn't have an opinion. It just works on the input. So when we change those inputs, we change the environment, we change the narrative, we change the choices, we change the reality. Absolutely. So I want to go into the things that you've learned and the the paradigm shift that's got you to where you are now. But I, I need to go back to, first I want to point out, Self-made millionaires usually lose it on average two times. So Daniel already had it all out of the way by 24. So yes. it's really you were just a quick study. Yeah. Um, so that, that's an average. And that, mm-hmm. that, that's that been studied extensively. Sometimes it's four or five, sometimes it's one, but on mm-hmm. average, it's twice. Let me ask you this, though. Not so much how did you get it, mm-hmm. but how did you lose it? Because it's different too. okay, I had a great idea, great product. I launched and I got $2 million. Mm-hmm. And then I was able to sustain success. But mm-hmm. you're saying I lost it all. Like, was it, I'm sure it was self-sabotage. Was it a market dried up? Was it the wrong product, wrong fit? What was it? No, it was point number one. First time, basically the only thing that went wrong was how I funded the business. I accidentally broke the law with how I funded the business, basically. (laughs) So so everything got seized because, uh, put it this way, if I have a business and I say, April, I've got this business. If you give me a loan, for me to fund my business and I give you rate of return on that loan, that's mm-hmm. legal. If I, we have a document that says, April, invest in my business and I'm going to give you a, sh- a share of it, not share certificate, but investing directly, that's against the law. I had no idea that was the case. So I basically accidentally set up an unlicensed investment business. So the government were like, you can't have that. We'll take it. I was like, oh, okay. I got that wrong. That's a good idea. <laughs> that was like oh okay so not only did I lose <laughs> my capital every penny that I made became proceeds of crime and so they just took everything oh and completely cleared me out like you everything. need to write your bio like my life in crime and then <laughs> like my, I was an accidental criminal. accidental criminal it was it was it was hilarious because you know I thought I thought that for years I fought it for years and they were like no you, you, you can't have it <laughs> this is the law and I understand that the, the law is there to protect people. So I get it. You know, I, I do get it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for a long time, part and part of that thing of just owning responsibility was that at the time I was like 19 years old. Like, yeah. what? Like, I should have just been like getting drunk and dating girls. Yeah. Like that. But I was like, no, <laughs> I'm going for world domination. Start up in formal And And, you know, the, the big thing, and this is what I want to say for, you know, entrepreneurs, leaders of any age, the importance of counsel, like now, now, I've spent over $172,000 I spent on my personal development last year. That's coaching, mentoring, you know, got like making sure that I've always got the right team around me. You know, mm-hmm. my mentors I've got now keep me like <laughs> operating at the best level, but also keep me making sure things are done properly. Sure. Because simply having like even just like a bog standard business guidance that you can get from like a local government thing would have mm-hmm. been like, dude, <laughs> like, you can't do this you you can't do this but I was like this 19 year old I'm gonna beat the system Ah." and you know the funniest thing April my dad my dad's job was a business advisor (laughs) right so this is one of the mechanics car never runs right yeah Yeah. my dad like he he took he really took it quite hard like when I when I'd lost everything because he's like oh so I didn't well we weren't talking at the time Um, so we, we weren't speaking for 18 months I mean, something really ridiculous. And I remember the conversation when we stopped speaking. I was like, well, if I'd been speaking to my dad, maybe like I would have, I would have set things up properly. But anyway, yeah. that was that one. But I just want to stress, it doesn't matter how much you think you know, how great your idea is. Every single one of my mentors always said, having right legal counsel, a banker that can work with you, give you liquidity when you need it and give you support when you need it. And, you know, a right accountant that's going to help you know where the money's at. I would also add to that someone that's going to keep your mental health mm-hmm. in good shape. Someone's going to keep your emotional health in good shape, or at least practices that do that. Yeah. That 
team behind you will always set you up for success, no matter what. You can have a half-baked idea, but if you've got the right lawyers, the right accountants, the right money behind you, the right ability to visualize and connect with that, then you're going to be okay, I think. We talk about it uh, on the Pivot Me podcast. We talk about your personal board of directors. Oh, yeah. Exactly. And you, don't, you don't have to have a large organization or a personal board of directors. Mm-hmm. And and if you don't pick them, they're, they're already in there. And sometimes they'll end up being like some high school teacher and people that should mm-hmm. not be on our board of directors. Right? <laughs> <laughs> we're we're like, we need to vote that guy off. Like, your old boss needs to get out. All the Kardashians. Don't put the Kardashians on your board of directors. (laughs) Things go wrong when you make those choices. But we talk about building the right um, personal board of directors and how critical it is. And plus, we're huge advocates of coaching. Um, I'm a high performance coach and I will always have coaches. I always have business advisors. I'm a business advisor. The best athletes of all time always have coaches. So that's so important of having official counsel, but also to your point, someone that kind of keeps you mentally locked in on your goals and make sure that all the distractions that can get in the way when we're going after goals doesn't get, doesn't, doesn't dilute our focus. Daniel, where did all this confidence come from? So was it just a desire to rebel? I mean, we're talking about doing something that's very young when everybody is like they're on their mom's couch and they're Mm -hmm. getting drunk. They're not thinking about things like this. Where did the confidence come from? Where did the eyes come from? Where did the ideas come from? I mean, that's a pretty big deviation from how other people were doing it at that age. I think, again, it comes down to the inputs, you know. Um, I always knew I was going to be a millionaire. This is not something mm-hmm. that, and you'll probably, you've probably found this with a lot of your your guests yeah. that, and people that you've studied. They, they just kind of knew that this was what it was. This was, it wasn't, oh, maybe this will happen. It was just, yeah, that's on the cards. It's going to happen. Mm-hmm. I actually wanted to do it by 18. That was my original plan. So I felt like a bit of a failure. Ah, yeah. 18 months too late. <laughs> but, um, but ultimately, my inputs were, I was, you know, I started reading and studying and following people from very young. So you know, the, the funny thing is because of my Asperger's, I didn't really have like mates I was going out to the ice rink with and stuff like that. I was kind of like, not even a nerd. I didn't even have like nerdy friends. I was just on my game I thought mm-hmm. I've got my mission this is what I'm going to do and so for me it wasn't even confidence it's just this is what it was going to be it was yeah. just who I am this is what I'm going to achieve and so as opportunities arose against the backdrop of that you know looking at entrepreneurs and and studying people like you know there's some questions around his morality but Bill Gates who did it quite young is like yeah I'm mm-hmm. just going to go for it those were the people that I looked to and was like, well, if they can do it, I can do it too. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't faced any adversity. I hadn't seen enough life to know that things can go wrong. <laughs> it's got to be, yeah, yeah. I had, I had this, this naivety mm-hmm. backed by certainty that this is what I'm here to do. I'm just going to mm-hmm. make it. I would say that's what it was. It reminds me of the whole, I don't know, actually, no, I haven't fact checked this, but the, the, they love to say in the personal development world about the bumblebee, how if you look at the wings, relation in relation to the weight of the bumblebee that it shouldn't be able to fly to mm-hmm. be able to fly mm-hmm. um, but nobody ever told the bumblebee that mm-hmm. i always think about that when someone really mm-hmm. succeeds against all odds i'm like oh they're kind of like a bumblebee nobody <laughs> sat them down and went look those wings can't hold that body up yeah. <laughs> told you that. so daniel just went flying away breaking That's laws changing <laughs> just do that <laughs> so what are what did you do differently so you talked about the beyond intention paradigm you've, yeah. you've written you've written books you've got a podcast tell me about how Daniel lives his life differently or what you created to make sure that this success is sustained now? You know, now it's for something bigger than me. And as cheesy as that sounds, right? Get yeah. ready for the, the, the mac and cheese right now. As cheesy as that sounds, I've come to understand that financial success, material success, isn't a cause, it's an effect. Mm. And it's an effect that follows a life that's overflowing and full. So, you know, even me coming to live in Cabo, I came here for three days. Three days turned into 10. I moved into a hotel. This is where I am now. Cool. (laughs) Now I have a house and got married and I've got a kid, right? And it was because when I was here, everything was just in a space of flow. I was happy all the time. Things were just grooving and shaking. How I was internally started to reflect in how I, I was externally. So focusing on where I'm at internally being deliberate in the direction of where that is, whilst at the same time taking actions on the opportunities that arise from that space is how I live my life now. Mm-hmm. So I'm not chasing a dollar. 
right? I'm like, okay, I have this opportunity to create value with this industry. Or someone's come to me and said, hey, here's an opportunity here. Does it align with where I'm at in here? Yes. Then it's a natural overflow and I follow it. And that's what I do now. Yeah. Yeah, that's so important. Um, in the in the podcast at the beginning of the intro, I talk about my former career. So I came from the telecom industry and the financial industry. And at the very beginning, um, what I talked about is that initially my career was about making large company larger and rich people richer. Um, and now I made this shift. And it was probably about two, two or three years ago now where I made this very big shift where if I didn't align very closely with the company that I was partnering with, with the clients that I was working with, I was no longer going to work with them. Mm. Um, and, you know, if I could go back and do it all again, hindsight's 2020, but if I could go back and do it all again, I wouldn't have aligned my expertise, my skill set, my team with anyone that was not um, that we weren't in, in alignment with. And mm. there was plenty of times where we're like, well, we'll just get a massage. It will make it work. You sometimes <laughs> have to work with people you don't like. Um, in fact, I told the story that I had this skill set, So I did a lot of negotiation. And so they'd always go send April in. She's really good with difficult people. And I can win over the most horrible. People. This is a terrible skill set, Daniel. And I, I thought this was a great skill set. I was like, Oh man, I'm so good with difficult people. If you say that to yourself, just so you know, this is not a good skill set. So <laughs> instead it should be like, Oh, I work with people I love instead of like, I'm really good at the bad people. Um, yeah. So don't, don't spend too much of your career doing that. Uh, yeah, don't make the mistake I did. Yeah. No bueno, no bueno. But you know, like I found even when challenges come up now, around that kind of thing going for something that's not necessarily for me mm-hmm. if i just ask ourselves why do we do that we do that from fear fear that mm-hmm. what we have isn't enough fear that there isn't enough stuff out there for me with sure. flow that i have to do this hustling and grinding and pushing right sure. you know i had this um recently um i had a so the, I didn't really want to be a coach, April, just so you know. I didn't want to be a coach. I didn't either. <laughs> no intention. I'm curious if it's the same reason, but <laughs> I, I, I was like, oh, and I'm not going to put my, my bio. And I was like, oh, I do coach people a lot. I guess yeah, so like, I'm curious why your reason is. So it's like when when we went into sort of book three of the trilogy, which started, um, it was on a walking meditation, 13th of February. I was in the mountains of Santa Fe, New Mexico, which was very cold, six o'clock in the morning. And I had this profound vision that came to me in the middle of this walking meditation that showed me what my life would be like if I dropped the seven-figure business that I just built up and just took the time out to share the journey mm-hmm. and allow this to be something that other people could sort of take on. This is a great beginning for your movie, just like <laughs> you're setting a great scene. Right. Let's go, and I see it in my mind. It's beautiful. <laughs> and uh, I'd had that call. I've been getting that call for about a year, but I was like, yeah, but I kind of like having lots of watches and I had a beautiful home. I fly first class. If I want to go somewhere, I do it. This was mm-hmm. good to me. I didn't want to be a poor teacher. Sure. But when I walked away from that experience, I was like, do you know what? That's going to be more. And so part and parcel of the, the, the kind of the, the end of the book before was that I had the call. I said, all right, cool. I'm going to make some extra money and put it aside and have my little cushion because I was going to do the podcast. I was going to do mm-hmm. some speaking. I was going to finally finished stepping beyond intention which took me like 12 years to write before I finally put it on the on the shelves and and that's what I was going to do and then I ended up sort of going on the journey that brought me here and everything was lovely and then people started paying me to talk to them and coach them that kind Mm -hmm. of grew and I've got a signature program that we've had that's made people millionaires and stuff using what I learned from my journey and then like a couple I said about six weeks ago, coming up to the beginning of this year, it just started to stop being fun. You know, it's not felt like work to me. You know, I get mm-hmm. up, I love you know, the people I work with. We do like multiple group calls a, a week and I charge a lot less than I, I need to charge because I've got other interests that mean I don't really need sure. to, to rely on it for money. But I realized that actually this community of like a hundred or so people had actually been taking all my energy and I wasn't actually doing what I was called to do. Mm. And so I realized that that thing of it not feeling like fun anymore is because I started to fall out of alignment because I'd actually started to realize the distractive element of what I was doing. And so I actually closed down a program that, you know, people are willingly paying 22 grand a year for. I was like, I'm not doing it anymore. No more people. Closed it. And then I realized that I was actually being called to come back to what I want to do, which is going out there, getting on podcasts, doing speaking engagements. I'm going to be investing heavily in doing some virtual stuff this year and getting stuff in people's hands. And we're doing ads now, not to sell stuff, but just to put the content in front of people so that they can have real change. But the coaching thing, 
just ended up actually becoming a little bit of a distraction. And it was because I kind of lost sight of the fact that the abundance that's going to fill me up and keep me living in the life that I love can come from anywhere. Mm-hmm. And I actually had the freedom to let go of something that was paying very well, knowing that everything's going to be okay, regardless of that, whether, whether that's on the table or not. But sometimes we end up holding on to those things, right? Dealing with the difficult people, dealing with the difficult clients, thinking this is what we have to do. But true abundance is being able to let go of that, knowing that the goodness is going to come from somewhere else. And I can't get my new blessing if I'm holding on for dear life to something that's mm-hmm. not for me anymore. Yeah, I love the analogy when you imagine it as like a tree branch and you can't reach that next limb when you're still holding on desperately. Like there's this moment where you're airborne and you just (laughs) got to know that there's a moment where you have to let go of the last branch when you're reaching for the next one. Mm -hmm. That's the part that we can sometimes avoid and that's fear talking to us. Um, But we don't get to that next branch unless we let go of the last one. Mm Everything demands your attention right now. You want to be on your A-game, but you need two of you just to manage your day. But what if I could multiply you? What if I told you there are secrets that top performers are using right now to still get ahead? There are, and I'll give them to you. In my new Four Steps videos, I'll show you how to master distraction, practice prioritization, get the right things done without working more hours. And for now, I'm doing it for free. Your time is priceless right now and you need to take back control of your day and your to-do list. Go to pivot-me.com backslash four steps and you can begin the videos within seconds. We all need more time right now and four steps will give it to you. Yes, you can multiply yourself. And I'll show you how to do it in four steps. So when you're thinking about what you're called to do, so mm-hmm. like, what are you here to do, Daniel? So my second book, The Dreamer's Manifesto, which is where the whole dream thing, dream with your eyes open, dream with CEO, dream with Dan, all comes from. There's more layers to it. It goes down this esoteric rabbit hole. But ultimately, what it comes down to is the fact that people talk about purpose, like, Simon Sinek wrote, start with why. And then everyone got obsessed with finding their why. Like, what's this why I'm going to start with? We get in the thing. And I've actually yeah. got a keynote speech that I've got called The Pointlessness of Purpose. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is I don't think purpose is the beginning. I think that purpose is the expression of something that we're encoded with, that we're here to contribute. My vision of reality is a universal tapestry that we all have a thread in that adds to the universal consciousness and this experience that we all tapped into and, and, and live in and experience in. And that thread is the thing that becomes the foundation for our purpose. Finding it for me is a matter of this. I ask myself one question, what feels good and does no harm? And I, mm. and I move into that. I think purpose to exist beyond the now means that we have a predetermined thing that stands beyond us. But as we learn new things, as we expand, as we grow, who we are, then the possibilities and opportunities available to us change too. So I actually become, I remain very fluid mm-hmm. in terms of the purpose but my calling is to ignite within people an awareness of the fact that they do have that thread and to inspire them not to hold on to the branches of a purpose that they think they have, but to remain open to the flow of life, guiding them onto the purpose that they could actually step into. Mm, that's good. And so many people live their whole lives without actually doing the work or spending the time just getting quiet enough to listen to what that might be because mm. we're just kind of responding to triggers, right? I mean, there's so many triggers from distractions in our phone to expectations to career business all of that stuff um and many of us just end up getting on autopilot and we Mm -hmm. don't stop the car and go wait a second am i driving to the place i even want to drive to does this even make sense and it sounds like you're giving people pause and some clarity it's good daniel it's good so talk talk to me about setting intention so i i'm i'm a fan of setting intention but um are you are you are you a fan or against it? Talk to us about it. All right. So for me, an intention is disrupting the unconscious pattern. Okay. Right. We're always creating consciously or unconsciously. You know, one of the irks that some of the people in the manifestation community have with me is the mm. fact that I'm like, what are you surrendering to? Mm. I'm, I'm surrendered to the flow of life. Poppycock. There is no surrendering to the flow of life. We are all, the, the universe is not a tyrant. God is not a tyrant. Uh, the divine is not a tyrant. We have free will. Free will is the exercising of choice. Mm-hmm. And that is always happening consciously or unconsciously. 
The reason why I keep coming to that consciously or unconsciously, because if we're not consciously choosing, we're operating on whatever unconscious pattern that we have. Mm. As much as 70% of that unconscious pattern isn't even from us. It's from our environment between the ages of two and seven. So whatever you are around between the ages of two and seven is actually doing 70% of the heavy lifting as to what you are creating and surrendering Mm -hmm. to, right? So when I talk about intention, I'm saying, I'm going to consciously step into the driver's seat and regardless of what pattern's operating underneath, I'm going to choose what I'm moving towards. Mm-hmm. So for me, intention is a disruption. Okay. And when I speak about beyond intention and the beyond intention model, what I'm really speaking to is getting to a point where the internal environment is aligned with us at a soul, at a heart level, to a degree that we don't need to keep disrupting because we're moving in the right direction anyway. I don't have to turn right off the street. This is the right street. I'm on the right street. Mm -hmm. I don't need to set the intention of turning direction. It's just holding space for myself to keep on that journey. There was a quote that um, it just, you just remind me of one, which is until we turn the unconscious conscious, it will direct our life and we will call it fate. Mm -hmm. It's good, huh? I was just thinking, I'm like, that's perfect. That's exactly (laughs) it. And people don't know it. They're like, oh, well, it's just destiny. It was just fate. I'm like, it was just you responding and you just didn't realize it. So how does one turn it into a conscious decision? Well, this is the intention setting process. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect timing. I mean, there's a free resource on my website that I've got like a little infogram. It's got like the five steps and five steps and things that we we'll people can For sure. And again, uh, I just want to make note: this isn't like grab this, give the email address, and immediately I'm going to sell you by twenty thousand dollar program. Like, no, like it's literally just grab the free resource. You'll get my newsletter, but the newsletter is literally giving you really cool stuff. And if you don't like that, you can unsubscribe. It's not going to be like here, buy some things. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I'm just saying, sure, you know, this is what we're, we're doing, right? But ultimately, that. The overall steps of this, where am I now? Like, mm-hmm. honestly, where am I now? There are too many times that we're setting intentions about a thing and then projecting ourselves into another place. No, the story I said in my book that actually happened to me that I don't like, I wasn't going to, I was going to tell an analogy and pretend like someone's called Bob, but it wasn't, it was me that did this. So I was meant to go to Toronto to be on a TV show. So I get to, I was in New York. Uh, my wife is Russian American, but she was in New York. So I was back and forth for a little bit earlier in the, in the relationship. I was in New York. I was like, all right, I get to the airport. I go to the desk. My <laughs> my assistant that does my travel booking, she's German, very efficient. So yeah. I, I, I never have to worry about so anything. Weird. Julia sends me like a couple of options. I pick the one. She books the ticket. She puts it on the card. I just go to the airport. So I'm at the airport. I'm at the desk. Give them my passport. Yeah. Um, can't find you on the plane. They're like, Searching what's gone wrong. It's like, oh, what's that? Yeah. So basically, what had happened was Julia picked the right ticket, which had actually left from LaGuardia an hour and a half before I was in JFK looking at the wrong airline desk for the wrong plane, going to the right airport at the wrong time. Uh, so <laughs> I ended up missing the TV interview. There was no uh, way to get there that day. It was wow. two o'clock in the morning. So Julia, for Julia, she was asleep. She didn't know what's going on. But basically, you know, this is what happens when we, we're not honest with where we are. I could sit there and have a vision board on my phone, a mind movie that's got this beautiful thing of me taking off from, <laughs> from JFK. But the yeah. plane left from LaGuardia. And unless I own where I am, then how can I make the right effective choices how can i plot the right route how can i get the right support to get to where i want to be so regardless of what the intention is unless that is set from an honest look of where you are the likelihood that you're going to get to your destination is just low mm-hmm. right so mm-hmm. honest brutally honest i'm an i'm a, you know i'm a butthole <laughs> right i am the difficult person in, in the room i don't have the capital right now to make this happen mm-hmm. i don't have the skills and resources cool mm. We're not beating ourselves up for it. We're just taking honest stock so that we can actually start to repair that. Where do I want to go next? Yeah. Yeah. So what I heard is radical candor and extreme ownership. Oh, 100%. Combination of those. Is that pretty all the time, April? No. 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 <laughs> but the thing about that, though, it's, it's, I'm a huge believer in extreme ownership as well. And the thing about that is you're taking your power back. The second it's Julia's fault, the second it's the ticket agent's fault, the second mm-hmm. it's the TV show for not being able to reschedule it, yeah. we've given our power away. And that's mm-hmm. no way to live because you can, you can, 
there's lots of things that you can be victimized by. There's lots of things where you can give up your power. Um, mm-hmm. But what does that get you? That doesn't serve you at all. So instead, how can I influence this? And, and if this is something that's wildly out of my control, I can't influence the outcome. Well, you better make peace of it or change it. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> the longer because, you take like being pissed off about it, that's not going to serve you at all. Because this is the thing. This is one of the backdoor routes I find that the unconscious mind uses to keep us locked in the same place. We become so obsessed with the failures and shortfalls mm-hmm. based on where we are, mm-hmm. went to where we want to be, that we actually don't just, you know, strap up, you know, bootstrap. Yeah. Boxes up, you know, get out of bed and start so moving true. in the right direction. All of that energy... Mm-hmm. gets locked up in shame, in guilt, in blame. In, and it's just a powerless position that we don't need to be in. Mm-hmm. We can actually say, okay, I cocked up. Okay, I had that opportunity. No worries. I've now learned the lesson. Wisdom is the memory without the emotional charge. When I take the wisdom of that, come without the emotional charge, and say, okay, this is where I was. Because the thing is, we look at the construct of time. Every time we're reflecting on something, it's always where I was. It's not where I am now. It's where I was. Mm-hmm. Where I am now depends on the choice right now. And if my choice is, okay, based on where that was, this is where I want to go next. Now I can keep moving forward. And when I do it that way, I can always, always, always win. Yeah. And you can influence it. I, I think so many people, um, they give up their power and they forget how much they actually have influence over it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the other thing we talk a lot about on this um, the show is, is choosing your story. Mm-hmm. So um, two people can experience the exact same thing and walk away with wildly different interpretations of it. And one's empowering and one's disempowering. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, there's an old story about, you know, twins and they grew up and their father was an alcoholic and he broke the law and ended up in jail. And, you know, one, one son ends up as an alcoholic too. And when asked about it, he says, well, of course, look who my father is. Mm-hmm. And the other guy is successful, runs a business, married kids, never drinks a day in his life. And mm-hmm. you ask why. And he says, well, of course, look who my father is. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, as, as nice and prepackaged as that story is, I mean, it's, it's true. And we see that example all the time. So um, one of the speeches that I give is about um, turn your excuses into reasons. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing how many people will sit down and go, well, I'm an introverted. So that means, and they start dot, dot, dot. I'm like, whatever you're about to say is a story. <laughs> Not, don't tell me you're bad at sales because you're an introvert. Don't tell me you can't get ahead because of, you know, because you had a, tough childhood and, and mm-hmm. not to say that that doesn't need a moment of reflection and empathy and all those things. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can either use that as your excuse or you can use it as your reason. Yeah. And what I'm hearing is you're fueling everything is like, well, I've got influence over this. So what, what part do I have influence over it? I get to choose my story and I get mm-hmm. to choose what this means to me because I'm, I'm kind of designing this instead of just letting the story define it for me. Cause if, cause if I'm letting it define for me, then I'm a slave to whatever the outcome is. It's true. It's true. <laughs> it's like, right. It's not fun. It's, it's not like, fun. It's like, okay, cool. I can do it this way. I can, I can do it that way. <laughs> it's other way that's way more fun. And look, the lazy way of just leaving things. Yeah, fine. Mm-hmm. It's, it's easier in terms of there's less energy expenditure. You can just be a blob on the river of circumstance. You can do that. And for some people, it might work out. A blob on the river of circumstance. There's a tweetable moment, right? There. <laughs> I got the image. No, and that might work for you, but do you want to run the gauntlet of leaving your fate to the hands of the unconscious, which you didn't even have a deliberate hand in when actually the steps are available to you to go in and ascertain what's happening at the unconscious, which isn't that difficult. The environment doesn't lie. The inner world reflects in the outer world and just starting to make choices about, what do I want to keep and what do I, what do, what do I reject? Mm-hmm. Where do I want to move forward and what do I want to leave behind? Yeah. Very, very simple questions. And it doesn't have to be a big life-changing thing every day. It can just be chipping away. What I talk about, microshift, just incremental changes in small areas. Yeah, right? talk to us about microshift. That was the next question I was going to ask. So talk to us about that. <laughs> Thanks for showing that up for me, Daniel. Yeah. Um, (laughs) micro shifting for me is it's like it's the love child of baby steps consistency celebration is something i call minimum deliverables right when i bring those all together i get this love child of concocted love child of, of of micro shifting so the definition is a consistent series of baby steps made in direction of a consciously chosen outcome Mm-hmm. So what I do is I have my intention about where I want to be. It can be as big a goal as, as, as I want. 
But then instead of me looking at that big goal, I simply ask, what small step, no matter how small, can I make in the direction of that? Mm-hmm. And it could be seemingly in- insignificant. And this is where the minimum deliverable comes in. Because a minimum deliverable basically says, what's something that I can do without resistance, no matter how small? I'm not looking for as big as I can. I'm actually yeah. looking for as small as I can make. And then when I make that, I celebrate it as if I've finished the entire big goal. Mm-hmm. And, I do it again. and I keep chipping away with these minimum deliverables. Over time, the compound effect of that is going to be the minimum deliverables for me are going to get bigger because the resistance mm-hmm. is going to be reduced. The momentum is going to be uh, is going to be built. Um, the ideas in my mind, the stories and narratives about something not being possible are dissolving because they're only there because of the evidence of it not being possible. Now sure. I've got evidence of it being possible. Mm-hmm. After a while, those micro shifts will actually still be micro shifts, but will be quantum leaps. Things will start to take life of their own. You'll start to be supported unconsciously, which means even the reality that you're creating around you is going to be more conducive to you moving forward in bigger steps. You're going to find yourself more deeply supported. You'll find miracles and opportunities coming in because everything in our environment is responding to where we are. So Mm -hmm. when I micro shift, I I, I chip away at the current reality, start to build a new one and a really powerful space for me to get to any outcome that I want. So it's so good. So one of the things we talk about here a lot is that a lot of times people believe that their lives or business are changed by one sweeping step, like one giant leap off Mm. the path. Mm. It's usually not that. Usually our lives and businesses, we think it's this defining moment. No, no, no. You started taking these little two millimeter shifts Mm -hmm. a year before. Mm -hmm. Um, That's really how we change our life and business, whether it's your fitness and you're just deciding that, okay, I'm going to have a protein shake for lunch instead of going out to eat for lunch every day, Mm -hmm. or it's our business. It's deciding these tiny little things that we're doing. So I love this celebrating the minimal deliverables. I I love that concept Mm -hmm. because it really ties into, hey, this is how we change our entire life and our business. Mm-hmm. It's just by these little things. And I, I so agree. And then celebrate them. Mm-hmm. So many people think that they have to wait to celebrate. This is actually a discussion that happens in my own house a lot. Where I'm like, <laughs> oh, look, we did this. Let's celebrate. It's like, oh, no, 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 let's wait a second. Hold on. I want to celebrate early. And I was like, why not? I'm always looking for a reason to celebrate. Celebrate. Because when we celebrate those little things, it builds momentum and it fuels mm-hmm. us up for that next summit. And mm-hmm. I don't care how small it is. I don't care if you're mm-hmm. writing a book and you've just consistently wrote a hundred words a day for five days in a row, celebrate. Exactly. Be- because we, we we get more of what we're celebrating, right? Mm-hmm. If we're mm-hmm. focused on, on that thing and we're celebrating it, um, it, there'll be more of it in our life. So I, I love that terminology, Daniel, that's great. Talk to us about, so you also wrote a book called The Money Game? Yeah. Tell me about that. So I, I created a concept, he says, created a concept. I mean, there's nothing new under the sun. I basically took a lot of the stuff that I'd learned and, and reworked it into an idea that I call the flow funnel. And what the flow funnel does is it literally tracks the journey of thought to matter and looks at the different ways that we end up engaging with it as humans on its way to being made manifest for us. So we start with a choice, whether conscious or unconscious, which is going to be either our unconscious patterns or our intention. We then have an emotional response to that, which is actually our first point of contact with the vibration of that thought stepping into physical reality. Mm-hmm. We then have mental images associated with that thought, whether it's positive or not so positive. Mm-hmm. That then affects our behaviors, our choices. Mm-hmm. That becomes a causation of the effect that we receive as our physical reality. So I actually designed a game a few years ago when I was on my journey in book three, <laughs> the book three journey, um, the savings had run out and I was literally just, I was, I was in, I was in my own surrender experiment about how this is going to work. I was like, well, I, I, I trusted, so let's go and let's see how this is going to work. But I was playing with this idea of, you know, bringing this intentionality, just saying, what if I just said, I've got this amount of money and, and see what happens, you know, does there have, can there be a predictability with manifestation? So I created the money game. We've now have uh, the record is 75,000 Australian dollars in two days playing the money game. Wow. Um, we do a challenge around it and the, the book kind of breaks down the whole system. But what it's doing is looking at simply deliberately choosing what goes into the top of the flow funnel and allowing that to be money that shows up at the bottom without us doing anything. So the book speaks to the pseudoscience, if you will, behind it, uh, the ideas and philosophy around it case studies, stories, and breaks down the system of the money game and how you can start playing it. Wow. 
That sounds interesting. I um, we're again, we're going to give all the links in the show notes because we want to we want to see these things on the back end, Daniel. Because I, we got to go poke around with money. Game. I love the idea of it. You know, one thing I want to ask you about it. Just thinking back about something you said earlier. Um, so again, something we talk about a lot at Pivot Me is that when we're when we're branching out, a lot of times people closest to us don't see our vision. When you were branching out and saying, "No, I'm going to be an entrepreneur instead of finishing college." How was that received? I mean, that you kind of had to go against the grain to do that. I know you had the rebellious streak. I mean, what my did that still, look like? My mom still thinks to this day that I'm going to finish my degree. <laughs> like in my mom's mind, that's still happening, right? Yeah. Um, but you know, a big part of my journey, and also, you know, even when I go back to you know my dalliance with suicide, which isn't, and this is something I just want to just anyone who's had any issues or challenges with depression and darker places that come through the Roman depression, like if it hasn't lifted completely, I wouldn't like get caught up on that. Generally speaking, it's not that it lifts, it's that you're resourced to handle those times Mm -hmm. when they come up, right? But a big part of like the whole thing has been that that came into my life because I started to give more value on my beliefs about other people's opinion, not even their opinion, but my beliefs about their opinion, than what I valued of myself. So a big part of the journey for me has been letting go of other people's opinion. There's a, um, there's a meme, I don't know if you've seen it, but there's this guy like looking up saying, Lord, save me from my haters. And then this God like, like, dude, nobody's thinking about you, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's like, what do you think? Yeah. Everyone's got their own stuff going on. And even the times that people speak about your stuff, it's normally their stuff that's coming out mm-hmm. and projecting into your stuff. So I don't really think that much about it is the long and short of it. Um, a part of me is kind of determined to go and finish the degree just because a part of me is like, have I not gone to do it because of fear? So I want to just conquer that. But it's on the back burner against other stuff. But I'm, I'm probably going to go and do that. But I'm not doing it because I'm, mom says I'm going to do it. I'm doing it because, like, well, why am I not doing it? I've got, I'm smart enough to go and finish it. I'm just going to just, just finish it, right? But generally speaking, a lot of people that face these ideas of other people holding them in, holding them back, oh, I couldn't because of blah, blah. You're giving them too much. That means that you don't have enough leverage over yourself. You don't have enough commitment mm-hmm. to what you're moving to to put that above other people's stuff. Sure. So there's a, I'm a certified instructor for a modality called reality transurfing. And there's a golden rule of transurfing, which is to do you and allow other people to do them. Mm. So even those times when people doing them tries to impact on me, I kind of like, all right, cool. You're welcome to that. Be better if you didn't, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to open up my doors and allow that stuff to impact what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And I think what can be hard too, is that I think sometimes what happens, especially for those who are closest to us, they can speak to our fears. And so uh, I'm not educated enough. I'm not good enough. Well, Mm -hmm. you know, something that happens a lot with parents that are kind of, okay, now I'm going to be this world-class speaker. Well, what does that mean for my kids? Am I going to be away from my family too much? And so Mm -hmm. when those closest to us, they know exactly the buttons to push. So whether Mm -hmm. they're, you know, you know, consciously sabotaging us or just airing their own fears, but they happen Mm -hmm. to mirror ours, Mm -hmm. we've got to be aware of that. And, and the thing I will say is you don't have to listen to it over and over again. I can't tell you the amount of business owners that I work with who's maybe their spouses or their parents um, don't support them in that process, you know, hear them out, hear their concerns, see what you can address, how you can mitigate them. But ultimately um, every time you go over as an adult and sit with your parents, you don't necessarily have to listen to the string of their fears again. <laughs> you can't undermine your success. It's like, boundaries, oh, yeah. exactly. Boundaries, so yeah. a part of a part of what we talk about is those healthy boundaries and say, mm-hmm. well, you know, if it's going to undermine your, your confidence and how you show up, you don't have to necessarily give them access into that. Again, it goes back to your personal board of directors. And sometimes, Sometimes our parents aren't on them. Sometimes our our family, our spouse, sometimes they're not on your personal board of directors because when you're going after something big and juicy, you've got to find the right people who will elevate you. And if they're always kind of giving you this this gentle nudge of like, well, I'm just a little concerned about you and it diminishes your confidence, you don't need that nudge right now. Yeah. And when you're being really intentional about moving towards something and your commitment to it is high enough, 
then those choices, they're not going to get easier, but you're going to be more resourced to step out and make them. So my thing is to keep coming back to the heart, keep coming back to love and keep asking yourself when you're faced with these hard choices before taking it, double check where you're coming from. Mm -hmm. Because some people's relationships won't lead into it. But, you know, one thing I want to, you know, going down the rabbit hole, like I said, with the esoteric aspects of beyond intention, what we teach is that ultimately everything that's showing up in our reality is a reflection of where we're at vibrationally anyway. And so that person speaking to fears is because I'm vibrationally aligned with having that person in my space. Sometimes the easiest way to break that vibrational alignment isn't to go and do a million hours of meditation or to go to an ashram in India. It's just to make the choice not to allow it to be in your experience anymore mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. from a place of love, not from a place of anger, from a place of fear. Sure. And that's a choice that's not always easy, but sometimes it's called for. And yeah. It's a choice sometimes that we have to be ready to make in order to move to another level or just accept. I'm happy to take this. I'm actually more committed to staying in the same place and not growing and just dealing with the stuff here rather than letting go of my addiction to the people, places and things that aren't serving where I said I want to be. Because if I wanted yeah. to be there, I'd be ready to let go and, and go there. And, you know, one thing we talk about when we talk about peer groups a lot, because, um, you know, I'm a firm believer that you're the five people you spend the most time with. Um, and yeah, and that can be hard because one of the things we talk about is your default peer group, right? Your default peer groups, people you work with, people you live next to, maybe the the parents of of the kids that your kids play with. And and that's fine that we've kind of got this default peer group, but we also have to design a peer group. So mm-hmm. one of the things is, as Daniel and I are talking about kind of leveling up, and sometimes that means people don't necessarily fit into our lives or maybe not as prominent of a role. What I encourage people to do is think less about, oh, I'm going to cut this person out. Oh, you know, I can't talk to my aunt Sarah anymore because she always points out all the ways that the business is going to crumble. So maybe you don't cut out aunt Sarah, mm-hmm. but another way to look at it, a slightly less painful way to look at this is Think about diluting Aunt Sarah's influence over you. Think about the people that you're going to bring into your life. Again, that design peer group, that that personal board of directors go, okay, Aunt Sarah's there, but she's not like, she's not at the head of the table anymore. Aunt Mm -hmm. Sarah like has to sit over to the side. She's got her notebook in her lap. She's got to be quiet. Aunt Sarah, you got to stay quiet over there. But I'm going to bring in some other people. I'm building a business. So I'm going to go out and speak with other successful business owners who's done it. I'm writing a best-selling book. I haven't done that before. I'm going to get in the room with other best-selling authors mm. because those will dilute that influence that you're getting. So sometimes, you know, people say, oh, I really want them in my life, but they're undermining my confidence or or my desire to do this thing. I feel like it dissipates when I'm talking to them. I'm like, I get it. You need to bring someone else in. Have mm. those other influences, people that are doing the thing you want to do, because it doesn't seem so radical when you're sitting at coffee with two other best-selling authors. You're like, oh, this is just a Tuesday afternoon now. <laughs> and then probably, and, and also you get the context of other people's experience too, yeah. which kind of brings everything into perspective. Like the time that you spend, like now that I spend time with like more dads in business, they're like, mm-hmm. oh, now you see what we're talking about. Like <laughs> like, now you see what about. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, I get it now. But that just yeah. kind of brings in that I'm not alone in it. It normalizes some of these experiences and the normalization reduces the charge and makes, allows you, I think, empowers you to make more empowering choices in the face of even your aunt Sarah's of the world. Mm-hmm. And share those experiences. So when you're mm-hmm. with them, like, so, so uh, we'll just use the example of the, um, the best-selling author. So if you're sitting there and you're going, okay, I'm really struggling getting in my word count. And, you know, maybe my, my spouse isn't supportive and they're saying, well, why do you have to get up at 4am when your alarm goes off? It wakes me up to these are conversations I have with my clients all the time. Like Mm -hmm. they're getting up and they're hustling at 4am and their spouse is pissed off because they're waking them up. And I was like, Whoa, 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 wait a second. Like Mm -hmm. that's okay. I'm sorry, honey, but I'm going after my dreams and that's going to take some sacrifice on, on both of our behalf. But Mm -hmm. when you get together with those other people that have done the thing that you want to do, share your experiences authentically, share the I'm struggling because when my alarm goes off, my spouse gets upset, share the I'm worried that I'm speaking to this thing and maybe I'm not a true expert or maybe there's somebody else out there that has more education and more experience than I do because it's, you know, people will admire us for our successes, but they will identify with us in our vulnerabilities. Mm. So when you enter that conversation and you say, hey, is anybody else going through this? You'll be surprised at how many hands go, oh yeah, yeah. Mm. My husband gets pissed off every time. (laughs) And then you're like, oh, because what do we want to know as humans? We want to know we're not alone. Mm -hmm. We want to be seen and heard and so when you get with those people that are doing the thing you want to do, have honest conversations with them and, and you'll meet you'll meet in that space together and they're going to help you through it. 
Yeah. So Daniel, talk to us about your, your success practices. Like what does, what does a day in Daniel's life in Cabo look like? It's a bit different at the moment because I have a two-year-old that's actually the king of the castle right yeah, yeah. now. <laughs> so it's alternate Ordinarily, um, funnily, I used to get up at 3.30 in the morning for years. I, I got up at 3.30 for years. And then I realized, actually, I was just getting up at 3.30 so I could tell people I got up at 3.30. <laughs> like, it became like a, oh, yeah, I got up at 3.30. Yeah, the time cool. that I knew that I had to stop getting up at 3.30 when, when someone was like, I think I was on something with a friend I think I was on our radio show I was like oh yeah Dan does this and I I know that he does it because like we were there and he was up at 3 30 and even though we got back at this time, I was like oh wow this is actually losing its real function so <laughs> I became so, that guy yeah I became that guy so I like I, I like I like a 5 a.m 5 30 start mm-hmm. essentially what I want and regardless of what the time is you need enough space have a running start before your day begins to take care of you that's what you're looking for at the moment I've got like I've got a very condensed version <laughs> because yeah. like we, we we've got a schedule and whatever but I've got a condensed version but ordinarily what I want to do is get clear on what I'm creating for my life as a mm-hmm. whole get clear on what I want how I'm going to add to that for the day get clear on managing my spirit whether that's emotionally through um, a meditation or some breath work or whatever I do something about my spirit I do something about my mind, some kind of visualization practice, and I get some movement in. So that's what I, I do in the morning. There's five things. When I'm under ordinary circumstances, I like to take a good hour, hour and a half to be able to do that and really kind of get in with it, do a, a juicy meditation, get a nice yoga career in. And But like right now, it could just be, okay, what are my five words, my five pillars? Boom, 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 boom. Connect with those. What can I do today? I can do this. Okay, that's cool. Let me just connect with the, the feeling of that. Take some night deep breaths. Meditate on that for a moment. Visualizing success. Get up and do some push-ups and then get on with my day. Yeah. That might be what it is right now. But essentially, it's just taking care of that. My spirit, my mind, and my body to prep me up to show up against the backdrop of what I'm creating for my life and how I'm contributing for that with my day. Mm, that's good. I think it's it's really important to hear that when you've got kids, now this can be difficult depending on the age of the kids. The key is getting up before them. You <laughs> get up before them, they will prioritize your morning. Yes, they if will you take don't it get over. up before them. So they will take it over. They'll yeah, take it. it's it's funny because we get that question a lot from parents. They're like, "How do you still do a morning routine when you've got kids?" And I'm like, "You have to get up before them. I'm sorry, you just yeah. have to because otherwise you're responding to the triggers that are your children, mm-hmm. and it's it's their needs and they're hungry and it's the snacks and the whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got to get up and set that um, set the goal for the day before anybody else is awake. And and the other thing as well, you know, around that is it's it doesn't have to be like listen. I can end up, when I've got the time for breathing space, like I practice kundalini yoga, you can end up doing like an hour and a half kundalini practice and then an hour meditation and this and the other thing. Really? Do you always need that? <laughs> it's just like, yeah. you really need that. Like sure. studies have shown five minutes of actual heart-centered meditation is effective as fudge. You don't, yeah. now I'm not saying don't, meditate for long periods of time if you've got the space to do it but don't get hung up on the oh i couldn't do my 45 minutes one hour of meditation thinking me jiggy doodah blah 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 and i didn't okay what do you have time for yeah yeah it's so important so i do the this uh, savers morning routine if you're familiar with it from um hal elrod's book the miracle morning um yes yes i love the miracle morning for entrepreneurs the one that he did with uh cameron harold and it's savers, you know, it's uh, silence, affirmations, visualization, exercise, writing, and um, reading. I think mm-hmm. I have the letters mixed up there, but that's effectively mm-hmm. the order. Mm-hmm. And ideally, you're doing 10 minutes for each one of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the minimum, you're doing one minute for each one mm-hmm. of those things. And it's still effective. So when people are like, I don't have time for a morning routine. I'm like, you have six minutes. Everybody's got six mm-hmm. minutes in the morning. And that sets you off on your day in an ideal world you're in this nice juicy hour-long morning routine but sometimes that's just not the case mm-hmm. then compress it so have your ideal here's my meditation pillow version mm-hmm. and here's the the kids are about to wake up i gotta yeah. get something in real quick and, mm-hmm. and use you know plan a or plan b but you just have to have that moment to yourself to set up your day um and it completely changes the way we experience our day and some things can you you can stack something so for example 
you know, even just saying my prayer of gratitude before I've even opened my eyes, just to kind of get me, get me clear. Again, my five pillars practice means I've got five key words that I've already imprinted as anchors to trigger a relationship to those five pillars of my life as a whole. I don't have to watch my mind movie. I don't have to read my, like, I just go through those five and just sit in my heart with every one of those five and that's done. Boom. Prayer of gratitude, reflecting, getting into my heart space. 60 seconds can get that done. Even if that's all that you can do, you have at least created space for you to be able to come back and do a bit more later mm-hmm. when the kids have got off. Let me take 10 minutes to do a bit of longer meditation. Sure. Okay, I didn't quite get to stretch or, or kind of get get some yoga in, but maybe I can get that done during my lunchtime. But just have something to get that momentum in the right direction. Have a minimum deliverable, a minimum that you know for you, because everyone's going to be different. For some people, the visualization is the most important. For some people, it's meditation. For some people, it's affirmation. For some people, because the kids are especially loud, it's the silence. Find that minimum deliverable, have that locked in, and then allow allow yourself grace to come back and get some more of it done over the course of your day too. Yeah, that's so important. And allow yourself some grace. We can never expect perfection. We're humans, which we are inherently flawed. Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes people are like, well, if I can't do it perfect, I'm not going to do it at all. This is not going to be an easy life for you. <laughs> you got to celebrate the good enough. All right, good enough. We got it. We know the couple, but let's keep going. So um, again, it's not about per, per, uh, perfect execution. It's about consistent execution. Exactly. You expect perfect perfect execution. It's just not going to happen. That's just not how life is set up. Um, Daniel, so I want to I want to ask. Well, let me let me ask a question about what you just said. Your your pillars. What mm-hmm. are your pillars? Are they goals? Are they the ways that you show up in the world? Tell us tell us about your pillars. I've got a, a model and there's a free video on my YouTube channel about the ideal life blueprint. It's a model that I created for creating your own reality. And what you essentially do is you you identify the five foundations for the life that's going to be ideal for you. Mm-hmm. Now, there's going to be extra stuff, but these are the five things. If you had to take your ideal life and put everything into just five boxes, what would those boxes be? Mm. Now, I personally interrogate that once a week. I encourage people to keep interrogating it to make sure that there's been no evolution. There's been no change. There's no been no things that come up. So once you've got those five pillars, and again, the video give you the, the link on, on the, the, it's like a five minute video that goes into the quick version of this. But once you've got those five pillars, you identify a role model for each one. Mm. You identify a textbook that speaks to how you want to sharpen each of those ones. And then you have a key word for each of those ones. So what you want to do is prime yourself around those five pillars with the keyword, you can do a physical anchor as well if you're into the NLP, right? You can have a song for each of them if you want. You can have a book. So the books I read through, my board of directors around my life are those five role models. Mm-hmm. As much as possible, have a mentor as well that can guide you and support you in those five areas. But if you've got those five basic areas taken care of, then everything else is extra sprinkles. Mm-hmm. And five things, like five words for me to focus on, five areas for me to focus on. I can spend, when I'm doing resets, I'll spend a week focusing on just that pillar. So when I'm looking at, for example, like uh, health and vitality was there up until a a little while ago, for a week I was focusing just on my health and vitality, getting blood work done, checking where I'm at internally. What can I be doing to prime my diet? You know, tracking my my exercise and blah, 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 to make sure that I know where I'm, I'm moving in momentum is moving towards that thing as a perfect execution because mm-hmm. it's only five things you can spend like a month five weeks and do a complete life reset in five weeks just by spending time every day working on one aspect of that pillar so it's great for getting momentum it's great for having a nice overview area you can use that to go and create your vision board you can use that to go and do your life script you can use it to go and do a mind movie because it's five areas and you can design what, what does that look like and blah 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 but that's what the five pillars are i love it i love it that was a great answer daniel I love it. Um, as you're doing it, I've started to write down mine. I was like, oh, I like this exercise. <laughs> Here's Come a really on. cool thing you can do. Brainstorm, like stuff that you think you want in your life. Mm-hmm. Interrogate that list to see if it's actually yours. Mm-hmm. Whatever's left, just group it into five groups. And then you'll have you'll yeah. be able to go from there. So what I do is I, I do like a wheel of life. We have a wheel mm-hmm. of life and a wheel of business too. But we do a wheel of life. And then based mm-hmm. off of those areas, then I make a mind map out of them. Nice. So I'm looking at my mind map right here. And I'm like, I want to apply this five pillar things, the mind map and, and distill it loads down. Loads of applications. Because it's just something you can remember. Mm-hmm. I don't need to, oh my God, I've got my whole vision and no. my life script. I've got five words. Boom, 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 boom. Yeah, no, it's beautiful. It's it's great. I love it. I love it. Um, Daniel, what here's a big question right. you could i'm getting you ready for it okay you ready for it it's coming. Mm. Oh, here it comes 
If you could tell the world one thing, mm-hmm. what would that be? If I could tell the world one thing. Mm-hmm. Now that could be a sentence, obviously. It's not one word. Okay. If you're not creating it, your unconscious mind is. Nailed it. That's good. Yeah, that was yeah. definitely good. If yeah. you aren't creating it, the unconscious mind is. Man, that's good. You should write another book, Daniel. That's really good stuff, man. <laughs> I've, actually, I've actually just picked the title for my next book. Did you? You picked the title before you wrote it? I picked, the, I picked the title because because I had the outline of it and I was like, I need a better title than the one I had and now I've got it. So, uh, well, yeah, so mm, we'll see. This you year. heard it first here on Pivot Me, guys. Do you hear it? <laughs> he didn't say it, but we know Daniel's <laughs> We don't know what it is. We just know it's going to be good. I'll get you a copy. Don't worry. I'll get you a, I'll get you a copy. Good, good. Yeah. Okay. So we've got one more question, but before I ask that last question, um, where can people find you? So Dream we're going to put the show notes, but, but tell us where. Dreamwithdan.com is the best place to find everything. Dreamwithdan.com. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. That's how yeah. we can find your books. Everything's there. All of that stuff. Okay. All the best all central there. resource. Yeah. Okay. I'm actually in the middle of doing some rejigging to make it even easier to navigate and putting some extra resources on there now. But dreamwithdan.com is where we want to be. Perfect. Perfect. Okay. So for my last question, what is next for Daniel? So we know that there's a book in the wings. Mm-hmm. What's next for you? Found out last week I'm going to be in a documentary. So that's pretty cool. Um, Make sure you leave the right airport. airport. (laughs) (laughs) Say. Trust me. I I told you that was a hard story now. That trauma is definitely in my space. So that, um, uh, I was due on a TEDx stage September, but um, who knows in the COVID world, what's going to happen with that? Right. But yeah, so the documentary is big up this year. Um, TEDx later this year, next book later this year. But right now this year, I'm really focusing on um, virtual events. So I'm only doing a lot of virtual stuff. We want to kind of get a good, high quality virtual event out every month mm-hmm. with some cool peeps. So that's um, that's where we're at for this this year for sure. Oh, that's so nice. That's one thing that's really come out of um, this COVID season, we'll call it is that the virtual events, the quality has gone up. I mean, there's some really great virtual events in general, but now Mm -hmm. everybody's just stepped up their game on virtual events. And you can bring such an amazing experience globally to people Mm -hmm. that may not be able to fly into San Francisco or Chicago or Toronto to see you. Mm -hmm. Now they get to experience it virtually. So that's been a huge, huge gift that um, the season has uh, given us. Yeah, exactly. Daniel, thank you so much for your insight, your vulnerability, your experience. Um, There's just so much, uh, so much more that we could ask you. I think we're going to have to have you on Pivot Me again after this uh, documentary in the TEDx. we got to hear about (laughs) how that goes. And when your next book is out as well, come back on and tell us about that. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, thank you so much and uh, enjoy Capo. Thank you so much for dialing in today. And don't forget, make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you love what you hear, give us a five-star review. It means the world to us. Hit me up on Instagram at the April Garcia or check us out online at pivot-me.com. This is all made possible with the support of you listeners, the numerous contributors and our clients. Our music and production is by the amazing Rockwood Audio. Join me next time for more tips on how to hack success. And until then, make it a great day. Thanks, guys. You guys are amazing.